I find that my most significant role every day is to manage people's expectations. If you just want a lawyer to go for the jugular, you are there for the wrong reasons. If you get a lawyer that says you're absolutely entitled to this or she can't do that or no way are you, you know, letting him do that or whatever, you're in the wrong place. What we're designed to do, you know, what our role is, is to help you make informed decisions. In the Blend is a podcast series that helps parents navigate life within a blended family. Join me as I speak with experts and guests to get practical advice on how to have a harmonious blended family life. This series dives deep into the unique dynamics, logistics and challenges of raising a blended family. From new partners to juggling mixed finances, we will help guide you through it. In today's episode, we're getting into the legal stuff and tackling some of the topics that might keep you up at night when it comes to divorce, separation, child custody, and more as it relates to blended families. Family law-related issues can often be a really emotional time for a blended family. And I know at times in my own circumstance over the years, we have wondered if it's worth engaging lawyers, in particular when there have been disagreements relating to kids' visitation schedules at either household. My guest today is Benjamin Bryant, an accredited family law specialist who helps clients in New South Wales, Australia through difficult family and relationship matters, and he helps them make empowered, realistic decisions. He is also the co-host of The Family Matters Show, a podcast which helps people everywhere to better understand family law, and they do it in a really interesting and accessible way. I personally have listened to many of the episodes and can tell you it provides an absolute wealth of valuable information. Well, welcome, Ben, and thank you so much for joining me today. Look, family law is a its a very big meaty topic as it relates mm-hmm. to blended families. And I'm conscious that you know, we're probably only going to really scratch the surface today in the time that we have together. But, uh, but I've certainly got a few questions for you uh, nonetheless. So let's get into it. Certainly. Scratch away. All right. So firstly, no doubt when blended and step families form, it can raise all sorts of unexpected disputes. And so I'd love to know what are some of the most common issues that people in blended families might typically be coming to you with for assistance? Well, interestingly enough, Laura, the the type of issues that people in blended families come to lawyers or family law lawyers um, are pretty similar to the same issues that are affecting non-blended families in the sense of um, parenting disputes, property disputes, and things like wills and estate. But you're right, with blended families comes different needs um, and different intentions, different things need to happen. Um, the biggest one, I think, in terms of what is on most people, the four, the four, you know, at the front of most people's mind, um, is the parenting arrangements for children. Um, people, um, there's still this idea out there that, um, you know, children belong to someone. And if you're not the biological parent of a child, then you have no rights. Um, what is actually true is that even biological parents do not have rights. Children have rights. Children have a right and they're entitled um, under the family law legislation to have a meaningful relationship with both their parents. And I said the word parents. Section 60C of the Family Law Act clearly sets out um, 
in what is the court considers to be in the child's best interest. And it does start off with parents. That is the primary consideration as well as the risk factors. But if you go down to the subsections, there's subsection 3B, D, F and M, which basically relate to other things, other relationships, the nature of relationship, the nature of risk with other persons as well. Um, so it's absolutely important that people know that biology is one factor to consider, um, but it's certainly not everything. Um, with property, um, it gets uh, a little bit crazier with blended families because ordinarily, with bl not ordinarily, um, a necessity of a blended family is that there's been a family essentially before. Um, and with family normally comes assets. So what the Family Law Act and what um, the blended family opinions couples, separated couples and blended families are trying to do is trying to, I guess, assess um, what were the contributions of the parties throughout the relationship of the, the blended family spouses. And in that assessment comes the question, who had what at the start? Okay, so what people are coming to us really about is they're trying to quarantine what they had at the start and trying to keep this over here, um, which is very difficult. Um, and that kind of leads into the third uh, area that I spoke about as well, um, the wills and estates or the future planning. And what a common scenario is, um, you know, you have children um, with your partner, you separate, that's not unusual, but then you may repartner or remarry and you have children of the relationship. And so what people are coming to me for is saying, well, I have children or even adult children from a previous relationship and I have young children from my new relationship. I want to be fair. I, I want to make sure that I provide for them both. Um, but of course that is very tricky, um, especially when they're asking me what's fair. <laughs> um, but that is very tricky and it's absolutely imperative that those those people that are from Belinda families wanting to do estate planning, that they actually get legal advice. Um, we actually do a little podcast program, The Family Matters Show, uh, Laura, and just a little plug. Um, just yesterday, um, I recorded episode 37, which was exactly on that issue, the wills and estate planning um, for um, blended families and separated blended families. Um, so I encourage your listeners um, to jump on our website and ch check that out. I'm not sure when this is recording. I'm not sure if it'll be available, but anyway, hang around. It's episode 37. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll make sure we we point to that in the in the show notes. Ben, I'd, I'd love to come back to the custody arrangements piece. And I imagine, sure. as you said, this, this comes up all the time. So uh, you, you touched on children's rights. And I'm curious to know at what point are the kids able to make the decision themselves about where they want to live? Uh, that is a great question. Um, look, there's no, there's nothing in the law, there's nothing in the legislation which says when children get to make a decision. Um, begrudgingly so, everyone thinks there is. Um, it would be very easy if there was. Um, but what the court is doing, and I'm certainly not suggesting, by the way, that everyone has to go to court. And I know lawyers get a bad rap. Lawyers are always talking about court. We're trying to pull things apart, ripping out the fabric of society, trying to pull people in the system. We're not. We're absolutely not. But what my role is to, is well, today is to educate. Um, but ordinarily, what I'm doing in my everyday life is to manage people's expectations. And if you can't reach an agreement with your ex, I manage your expectations by letting you know what the court will do, what the legislation says. So going back to that section 66, 60CC, which is the most used um, section of the Family Law Act when it comes to parenting, that's talking about what a court takes into account 
when considering what's in a child's best interest. So a lot of people think courts, they've heard that, you know, that, 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 that language before. And they think, you know, the courts are just doing what they think is best for the kids. It's not actually what the court or the judge is thinking. It's a legislative criteria. Um, and part of section 60CC, one of the things that a court must take into account for every matter, for every child, is the views of the child. Okay. But how do you take the view of a toddler? How do you take the view of a primary school age compared to a 16-year-old? It's different. Um, and I just mentioned ages as an arbitrary thing. It's nothing to do with, you know, age either. Do you know, some nine-year-olds may be able to articulate better than 14-year-olds. Um, if a decision from a child or a view of a child, ex you know, expressed from a child is based on because dad's got an Xbox um, or because, you know, the family cat is with mum or something like that, then that's not good enough, obviously. But if you have an old child that has, you know, um, strong views, um, then it's, it's, it is apparent. It is taken into account by the court. Absolutely. There is no age for it. But I think as a guideline, and I, I mentioned the word guideline, um, is that once you get to high school age, that, you know, the 12, the 13, you start, your child's voice starts carrying some weight. And it may not be, that doesn't mean to say that, um, when I say weight, that doesn't mean to say, well, what's, what they say goes. What it means is you, you can start having a conversation with them, but then being more engaged in the process, seeing what they want, seeing what works for them. Um, a lot of parents talk about all sorts of different parenting arrangements, but some, you know, want 50 50 based on fairness. But if you have a look at what's happening in the relationship, especially if you have your teenager, you're not doing 50 50 parent. Do you know I mean? You're lucky for one parent to be present because they're always out of the house. So why do you think upon separation they want to spend all this time with you? So you need to be really conscious, um, I think, from from, you know, 12 and onwards of their views, but certainly children don't have, even, even from a, you know, a physiological or physical, they don't have the prefrontal cortex in their brain to make that decision. And even though it's great for, you know, for parents to hear, oh, they want to stay with me or what am I doing wrong? They don't want to stay with me. They, they shouldn't have that responsibility. That's not their job. Their job, your job as parents, essentially, um, is to make decisions what you think is in their best interest. And accordance, again, with section 60CC, it's about balancing risk with a relationship, okay? Children are entitled to have a rela relationship with both of their parents and also their loved ones, including uh, spend time with, oh, sorry, um, step-parents, um, to the extent that it's safe to do so. That's really what it's about. And in that, when, it, when, when assessing the relationship, does come the children's views. Got it. So if it was a scenario where the two parents, biological parents, could not agree on the whereabouts and the arrangement of, of the child or children, then the child's views would be one aspect with heavier weighting as they get older as part of that decision. That's a very good summary. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Excellent. And tell me about mediation. I'm interested to know whether if parents can't agree on these sorts of things, whether mediation is something that they might consider before they come to a lawyer and are there any demands on the other parent to attend mediation if one half wants them to go? Yes, it's um, mediation is getting some more um, attention at the moment, Laura, and that's essentially because the court has, um, in September last year, has 
created a new court. They've combined. So the court used to be one court, then it became two courts. Now it's back to being one court, and it's called the Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia. With the new court came a new set of rules and a new focus um, on pre-action procedures is what they're calling it today. Um, essentially what that means is before anyone fronts up at court, they have to uh, you know, invite the other party to mediation when the court certainly expects parties to do mediation. Before September last year, that was just in respect to parenting. Now it's also parenting and property. So the court is saying, before you come in this door, we've got to make sure that you've tried, you ticked all these boxes to come in. Um, the relevant section, if anyone's interested in the legislation, is Section 60I for Parenting Matters. So Section 60I says to parents, you cannot go to court unless you've tried to resolve the matter at a, at a mediation. Okay, and when I say mediation, that's with a, um, it's a particular name, a registered family dispute resolution practitioner. So if you're doing mediation, um, you know, don't do it through a mutual friend, um, don't do it maybe through a church or um, if you want it to be recognised at court anyway, it needs to be a registered family dispute resolution practitioner. Um, and you can find them easily enough. Um, you type in family dispute resolution at online or registered family dispute resolution practitioner. Um, and there's, of course, a register of people. So you make sure you know what you're doing and who you're doing it with. Um, I must say, Laura, there are some exceptions. So, so if there's um, allegations or a history of family violence um, or there's something yucky going on like child abuse or something like that, or if you're mad at super super-duper urgent, someone's off to Morocco or something like that, then the court does not expect you to do mediation, yeah? Um, but otherwise, it does. Um, the mediation, I guess what COVID has also taught us, I must say, Laura, is that you can do things online. So when I've said before the exception with family violence, there is um, certainly no, mediation is not just putting you in the garage and you know, bringing down the roller door and saying, figure it out. Mediation is essentially a setup of a safe, respectful environment for parties to communicate. In a mediation, no one is making a decision. You're not persuading anyone except perhaps your ex. Um, and you, no one can compel the other to do anything. You're there voluntarily and you want to try and work it out. And sometimes we find, especially with COVID now, with um, because there was a not a pressure, but a, I guess a, a default position was it was face-to-face. And before you could be in separate rooms, but of course then you're just, you're still in the same vicinity, you're just in separate rooms and some people feel really unsafe with that. What COVID and the technology has taught us is that we can do everything by video, just exactly what we're doing now. Um, and so there are, you know, in quite a lot of times, even with a history of family violence um, or if there's something yucky going on, um, there can be some merit in participating in mediation. It may be that you can't resolve everything, but you can at least discuss the school issue or um, you maybe can't agree in your heart of hearts, you can't agree for um, the father to have time or something like that. But at least what it does is it gives you the opportunity to safely and respectfully communicate your reasons to them and so they have a pathway. They say, all right, well, I've, I've got to do this drug test or I've got to see this counsellor. I've got to do this anger management course or I've got to move to make sure that my house is appropriate for the age of our children before I get whatever. There can be a plan set up. Okay. So mediation, um, you know, people should do it. Um, first of all, when they want to, when there's, when there's a common intention, that is, we want to get together and find out the parenting arrangements for our children that we think is in their best interest. We want to get together to find out 
uh, what we're going to do with the house, um, how we're going to split the super, um, what are we going to do with the poor dog, um, those types of things. So mediation is a really great uh, vehicle for that. Um, there is a bit of a, um, a focus or a stigma in respect to who is inviting who to mediation and who is refusing who to mediation or something like that. In my experience, honestly, no one's looking at that. If you get to the court, if you come in to see a lawyer and you're going to court, you're kind of at the pointier end at that stage, but no one's looking to see, oh, who did what at the mediation, who issued it, um, who invited who. It just is what it is. And a Section 60 I certificate, get this, actually doesn't belong to one party. It belongs to both of the parties. So it's entirely possible, for example, dad to invite mum to mediation um, and mum say no, and then dad doesn't do anything. But then three months later, mum says, well, I want to go to court now. She can use that certificate even though she refused. So there's no ownership in the Section 60i. All it is is a record of the parties being invited, um, whether they participated, whether there was a result or there's not. Um, in terms of your listeners, um, Laura, with the with blended families, uh, mediation is not just for parents. Mediation is, as I said, in terms of um, uh, um, trying to move the metaphor in a legal sense, is the precursor to court. And so not only parents can go to court, as we know, step-parents, um, grandparents, or anyone else who has um, a, a genuine concern for the care, welfare, and development of a child, I think that's Section 65C, can make an application to the court. And so what the court would expect is those parties to do mediation as well. So it's absolutely appropriate um, for step-parents or other um, people not a parent um, to attend a mediation as well. To, what the idea is is discuss the issues and dispute and to see, uh, you know, what issues we can resolve, um, what issues we need to work on, or perhaps even resolve it, tie it all up in a bow. Um, and there's different outcomes to a mediation that can be no outcome. There can be um, an informal agreement where parties just reach the agreement, they don't see a lawyer, they don't do anything with it except you start doing alternate weekends or you just sell the house and split it 50-50, that's entirely possible. Some people with um, with parenting matters can do parenting plans. And again, don't get confused by the word parenting. Anyone can do a parenting plan, um, which is an informal, it's a written agreement, but it's informal still. Um, that's signed and dated by the parties um, and that's a record of your agreement. Or you can upgrade it to consent orders, which is the same agreement, um, but essentially it's locked in with the court. It's, it's sealed by the court and the court agrees um, that the parenting arrangements are um, in the children's best interest or that the property arrangements are just and equitable. Got it. <clears throat> with with the, the blended family piece that you, you touched on and the, the elements of all of this applying in the blended family context, I'm thinking of a scenario where a um a blended family relationship might break down so so the the couple who are the the blended family couple uh leave one another and mm -hmm. then you know they might have had children together have have their children then got rights to see their half brothers and sisters or step siblings or 
Yeah. In short, Laura, the answer is yes. So again, the Family Law Act, if you get it, bring up Section 60CC, everyone. If you have a look, the first few sections will absolutely talk about um, children and their parents and parents and their children. And that's frankly most matters. Yeah. But if you keep reading down Section 60CC, um, it does take into a raft and it goes to, I think they've changed it, but I think it goes to subsection M. So A to M, all the different things that are talked court takes into consideration um, when determining what's in a child's best interests. Okay. And when I talk about a child, I'm talking about a subject child. So the court doesn't, awful word, I know, but um, the court doesn't have jurisdiction or the power to make orders about children, not parties to the dispute. What they can do is only make orders in respect to the children that are, are, are part of the dispute. Yeah. Um, and so what the court is doing in section 60cc is going through A to M um, of subsection three to see um, what are the factors that are going to affect this child. Um, is the child um, have any cultural background or Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander? Um, takes into account the, the lifestyle, maturity, um, all, all, all different aspects, the relationship with others, the relationship with grandparents, family violence, of course. Um, is someone paying child support? Um, the views of children has a whole list of things. A to M, have a read of it. It's a real hoot. <laughs> um, and so, yes, and part of that, as I said, Laura, is the relationship with other people and that what is the likely impact of what perhaps one of the parents or one of the parties, um, what the orders that they're seeking, what is the likely impact that that would have on a child? Um, for example, if a child is really close to their half or step-sibling, um, what does that look like in the future? Okay, but one of the implications with blended families, of course, um, which is sad but true, is that the good thing is that this child or the children have the benefit of many people in their lives. Their, their lives are enriched um, by being exposed um, to different people, different um, styles of parenting, um, you know, dif different things. You know, they get the benefit of different things. One of the negatives is that there's many people in this child's life or children's lives um, exposing them to lots of different things. And that's, that's the difficulty in managing. Um, it's difficult for a court to make a decision what's in the child's best interest when there's two people fighting over a child. Um, it is even more difficult when you enter a third party or a fourth party um, who are jumping up and down, you know, wanting their rights, you know, their entitlements, um, but we still only have one child or you still only have the same amount of children. Um, and it's difficult. When you have um, situations like grandparents, that, and if they, the grandparents have a, a pretty good relationship with their own child, so the parent of the subject child, um, generally speaking, unless there's, you know, um, extenuating circumstances, the court can say, well, you can have your time, you know, when your son has your, their time or your daughter has their time. So you can kind of combine it um, or, you know, do something along those lines. But when you have parents at lockerheads in conflict um, where that's not um, easy to do, it, it's it's hard um, because the child still has to go to school. <laughs> the and so when, when you get to um, a teenage kid, they don't want to spend time with anyone. No. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's difficult. And that's one of the implications specifically for blended families. And it's not to say that um, you have any lesser rights or, you know, anything like that. I'm certainly not saying that, but you have to be mindful of what is actually 
practicable. Okay, and the, the court is there to assess. And look, if you're not at court, if you're not at court, what the parties at the mediation or at the kitchen table, whatever, need to assess is what what is best for the children, not what is best for the parents or for the adults in their lives. What is best for the children? Um, and that's difficult when you've got a lot of um, a lot of needs and expectations. Absolutely. Um, and I, I really identify with with the, the comments you made there around uh, around people in or children in a blended family having lots of people who love them, and that, that's something we often say to our own in yeah. our own situation. Is you're, you're so lucky you've got all these people who want a piece of you, yeah. and um, and that you know we, that I certainly view that as one of the positives. But as you say. You know, in, in legal circumstances, it creates a whole lot of negatives as well. Well, that's and I think it's it's true that in all relationships, and I was just saying this to a client yesterday, what people um, revel in during the relationship, or what people say is so important in the relationship, and it could even be taboos, you know, in between couples, things that no one else knows. Um, that after separation can be the exact thing that pulls it all apart. Do you mean that can be weaponized and used against people in the part? So the things that you take joy in in the relationship are the things that can sting you on the other side. And this is one of those examples, and perhaps you know not the best example, um, but as I said, you are loved by so many people, which is great. Um, but on the other side, um, when you know when the wheels have fallen off, there's only so many pieces of this pie. Do you know what I mean? And it's just it, it it's difficult. But that is one of the that is certainly one of the implications of a blended family. So Ben, when should people approach you and and how do they go about shopping around for a, a family lawyer and a blended family specialist uh, as well? Yes, I I always hate the word shopping around with lawyers. It just cringe, <laughs> it, it cringes me. But look, I, I get it all the time. I think what, what I would say is, Laura, is family law is discretionary. It is a care jurisdiction. Okay. It is not black and white. It is not transactional. We are not buying a home and paying stamp duty. Um, it is very discretionary. Um, and because of that, if someone is shopping around, they're shopping around because they're looking for a family law specialist. They're looking for someone, um, that is, um, you know, has a good, um, you know, reputation, um, and a good, um, you know, you, you get a good sense from them. Um, if you meet them or chat to them on the phone, there's a, a rapport. Um, and also I think someone, or I think it's important to say, and I mentioned this before, is that I find that my most significant role every day is to manage people's expectations. If you just want a lawyer to go for the jugular, you are there for the wrong reasons. If you get a lawyer that says you're absolutely entitled to this or she can't do that or no way are you, you know, letting him do that or whatever, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. What we're designed to do, you know, what our role is, is to help you make informed decisions. The lawyers do not make the decisions. The lawyers advise you. They give you the positives and the negatives. And even if you did only end up with 30% of the asset pool or you didn't end up with 50-50 of the parenting, um, which is what you wanted at court or otherwise, um, then when a judge hands that down that decision, that is not the first time you 
heard it. Um, the role of a lawyer is to manage your expectations. We give you the range. I let you know what social science says, according to the age of your children, what is going to be best for them. I tell them on my own experience. I let them know the case law. I talk to them about the legislation. But ultimately, they make a decision. The same with um, property. I don't give financial advice. I don't know what's right for them. I don't know what the property market's going to do. I don't know if they should retain their super. But what I'm there to do is give them the alternative. So if all they want to do is retain their super, then I'm there to show them the alternatives. So that's really what the, the role is about. So when, you were, when we're um, lawyer shopping, I just hope people aren't going, you know, um, you, you ring up, how much does it cost to get a divorce? Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, what's it going to take for me to get my kids back? Or I only want 50-50. That's pretty simple. I'm pretty amicable with a miss, eh? Um, you know, how much is that going to cost? It doesn't work like that. It just, it just, and it can't. So if you're shopping around, don't shop around for costs. Um, check out people's websites. Um, check out things like Doyle's Guide for Lawyers, um, the Law Society, um, even local newspapers. See what the, the, the lawyers are doing in the community. Um, of course, talk to to friends um, and family about their experiences um, and look for lawyers with great podcasts, I reckon, Laura. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Are there any alternatives to legal support? So any agencies or any other resources that you could recommend that might provide either free or low-cost support in the case where someone is not in a financial position to engage a lawyer? Um, certainly. And I, I just, I guess I want to be clear, Laura, from the outset, I'm not going to make recommendations for alternatives. I'm going to make recommendations for additions. Okay. Because I think nothing, nothing replaces legal advice. And there is a difference between legal advice and legal representation. So legal advice, you can get, we can get it free. There's legal aid, there's community legal centers, there's, there's different things available. Yeah. Um, but a lot of private practitioners also do free. And even if they say, you know, the first appointment is 300 bucks, um, if they get your history of the matter, well, this is certainly what we do. If we get the history of your matter and it's clearly just not appropriate for us to charge you the 330 or whatever we charge, that's, that's not going to happen. So, and just because you're going to a lawyer does not mean to say you're going to court. Again, lawyers get a bad rap and perhaps you know, in some circumstances, fair enough. Um, but we're not here to drag people to court. What we're trying to do um, is to keep people out of court. But of course, the court is there for a reason. Do you know I mean? If you are in a family violence situation or if there is child abuse, something, it's likely that you'll end up in court. If you're um, at 50-50 and your spouse is at 80-20, um, or you get nothing perhaps, um, you're likely to end up in court. And the court is there for a good reason. Yeah, but certainly there are um, different ways to get information. Um, and again, uh, you know, I'll, I'll mention my podcast. It's not even just my podcast, Laura, but what, what I'm, I'll talk about is what we do as a firm is we have this intention, okay, to get information out there. And you're right, there's a lot of people that can't afford it or um, it's too scary to go to a lawyer or it's too official because sometimes when people are in my office, I'm the first person they're telling. I, I'm, I'm the one that, you know, they're unloading to for the very first time. Um, and what 
what the idea of our website and our podcast is to get as much information out there that people can access just like they are right now um, in the privacy of their own headphones whilst they're ironing, whilst they're doing whatever they're doing, Jimmy, to get the information to make informed decisions. There's lots of information um, about there. So like your podcast and my podcast, um, there's, there's heaps of different websites available. Um, one new, I mentioned the new court, um, before, um, the combining of the old court into the new court, the Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia. Um, it helpfully has an abbreviated court address, um, website, which is fcfcoa.gov.au. With its new revamp, it actually has heaps of information about separation. Um, also in the early stages, um, referrals to mediations and informations about mediations. Um, if, um, you're one of the few that end up in the court system, heaps of information about publication resources about what a family report is, what a child impact report is, what an independent children's lawyer is, what is the judge thinking, all these different things that are available. Um, I'd put everyone to, well, I use Legal Aid New South Wales. Obviously, your podcast can, you know, reach the world. Um, but uh, so the, the, the relevant Legal Aid um, website, certainly New South Wales has excellent resources. Um, for people starting off um, wondering about separation, wondering what um, what programs are out there for them, what mediators are available, um, and just commonly asked questions. Great resources are um, Interrelate or Family Relationship Centre. I think that's a, a first port of call for a lot of people. But also, unfortunately, Laura, there's people that um, don't have the time um, to peruse or browse websites and there's you know there's matters that are more critical and if that is the case of course i refer your listeners to 1800 respect hotline the lifeline hotline or indeed um if it's an emergency triple zero very good thank you so much for joining us i have found that extremely valuable myself as i'm sure our listeners will and uh yeah hopefully there's a few tips and tricks in there that will help them navigate some of the common moments with a little bit less stress and anxiety. Um, and Ben, I feel like we could easily have a part two of this conversation. So um, I'm all for it. Yes, I think we might have to reconvene again to dig into <laughs> some of this a bit deeper. But um, but where can listeners go to connect with you and find out more about the support that you provide and access all of the wonderful content that you're putting out into the world? <laughs> well, Laura, I guess that the, we're, of course, on all the socials you can think of. Um, but the main point of reference, I think, is probably our website. Um, Bryant McKinnon um, is our firm, Bryant McKinnon Lawyers. So the website, of course, is bryantmckinnon.com.au. Um, if you, you're the first time user or you haven't been to the page for a while, you don't need to do anything. You just log on and then, boom, a little reminder will come up, um, a little note will come up about the podcast and give you a link straight there. Um, that's probably where most of our information is held. We also have a lot of information about how to access the course um, and the you know interrelate in the Frame Relationship Centre and the different hotlines that, that I just mentioned there. Um, they're on our website as well. But I guess a lot of information is um, uh, put through our podcast. And again, again, going with your intention, Laura, is just to get information out there um, and to for me to try and, you know, take away the stigma but the lawyers are the bad guys i mean we're not we have the information it's here when we're trying to make it freely available um for listeners um to, to listen in anonymously um and in their own time and we've tried to put our mind to 
what people would get most, what where the information is. So if you go into court, we have one about that. If you're, as I said, wills and estate for blended families, we just wrapped that up yesterday. Want to know what a judge is thinking? We've actually um, interviewed two retired judges. Do you have a property settlement? Um, and there's a business valuation. We've just interviewed a forensic accountant. Um, coming up next time, um, you want to know about substance abuse and family law and what does it mean if you have pot or cocaine or ice in your system? Um, we're going to find out with Professor Ogden. Uh, so there's all different. What is an ICL? We've done information with ICL. What role does legal aid play? Who had legal aid on here? Um, we've had the relationships, Australia, New South Wales CEO speak about um, if we're separating, should I stay or should I go? So uh, that's just a few. Um, there's, there's heaps of information. So bryantmckinnon.com.au, Laura. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ben. Absolutely love what you're doing. And once again, thank you so much for your time today. Absolute pleasure. See you for part two. See you then. Thanks for listening to the In The Blend podcast. The show notes for this episode are available at intheblend.com.au. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and please rate and review in your podcasting app. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. LinkedIn.